Today's scripture is from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows from, its, from where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about the earthly things and you do not believe them, you can believe it if I tell you about the heavenly things. So no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from man and descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just, Moses, and just like Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into, this, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Friends, let us pray. Loving God, may your Spirit come and move among us. May we draw near to you as Nicodemus once did, bringing our questions that you might be present with us there. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together glorify and honor you and draw us deeper into the mystery of your love. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now there was a social worker named Martha who came to Jesus and asked, what kind of God would create a world in which viruses and tornadoes and all other manner of thing are allowed to kill innocent people. Now there was a lawyer named John who came to Jesus and asked, why was I sexually and emotionally abused? Now there was a musician named Claire who came to Jesus and asked, what difference does my life make? 
Now, there were janitors and students and judges and teachers and scientists and parents and nurses and people from all walks of life who came to Jesus and asked, why do I have to feel so lonely? When will I be able to overcome my fear? Why do you allow me, my loved one, to suffer? How will I pay my bills? Why did this happen to me? Should I stay or should I go? Where is God? Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus with lots of questions. And Jesus' responses raised more. Questions are part of human life and they're part of faith. Sadly, many have heard or been taught that questions are not welcome in church. Some have been hanging out in church their whole lives without admitting that they don't understand or agree with things that they've been taught, and so miss the opportunity to go deeper. Some don't think they can bring the real questions of their lives into church for fear of judgment or with some sense that they're supposed to present themselves in a certain kind of way. And of course, this sort of withdrawing or not sharing, this can happen in any faith context, but certainly it happens in those churches where strict adherence to a particular understanding of the Bible or theological concepts is required where the goal is to sign on to a set of statements that are presented as the gospel truth with the expectation that you will then support those statements with your actions, even if you see harm being done to yourself or others as a result. It's no wonder why so many outside the faith stay outside the faith asking, how can you believe this? And without question, how can you live like that? So many avoid Christian community at all costs because they value honesty and authentic conversation and creative and critical thinking and science. And what they've imbibed in the collective ether is that to be part of the church means blindly going along with what someone says is true about Jesus or about the Bible or about the world or about people, about everything. And so often what is proclaimed as the gospel truth, the proclamation that gets out into that collective ether is pretty thin soup. It is less than satisfying. It is missing so much of the richness and depth and nourishment of our Christian spiritual tradition. Questions are a doorway into a very different kind of engagement. 
Poet Rainer Maria Rilke is instructive in his book, Letters to a Young Poet. Many of you may be familiar with these words, where he writes, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms or like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. When we think about some of the questions we struggle with, the concept of loving those questions may seem absurd. But what might it mean to love our questions, to live our questions? Well, it certainly doesn't mean denying or avoiding them. It doesn't mean that we just set them aside and instead find the easiest, tidiest answer possible and then cling to that answer for dear life, even when the answer is unsatisfying. Have you ever had someone give you a pat answer to a really important question? Have you ever had someone give you a pat answer about life and death, about suffering, about God? Let me tell you the answer. I got it for you. How did that land with you? Because I can tell you how it lands with me. Sometimes, sometimes the pat answer might provide some comfort, like an old, well-worn blanket. Sometimes the answer given us may make us wonder if we're missing something, <laughs> if our own questions and discomfort with what we're being told means we've missed an important truth. Other times, eye rolls and deep yogic breathing may ensue. <laughs> the truth is that all of us experience the anxiety that comes when we have to acknowledge that there are things that we may never fully understand. Things like suffering, things like death. It's painful to be in moments in life when we feel that we are wandering in a wilderness and we have no idea of how to get out of that desolate place. It can be difficult to face a big life decision without a sense of clarity for the answer. But to love the questions, to live the questions, means that we give ourselves permission to be honest about where we are, about how we're feeling about where we are, to admit what we don't know, to ask our questions, to push back on easy answers, 
to search our own hearts, to lean upon friends, to pray and listen deeply, to study the scriptures and other resources that might feed and nourish us, to keep learning, to live the questions perhaps means allowing ourselves to sit in the discomfort of challenge and uncertainty, to do what I call riding the wave, ride the wave of experience. To live everything, trusting that in time, insight will be revealed. It's been suggested that the question mark is a profound religious symbol. I was imagining all of us walking around with question marks around our necks and on our stoles. That would probably be better for me in many ways, honestly. Um, because the question mark is, is a sign of an explorer, a seeker, a wonderer. Just think of our children at the wonderful age when everything that we say is met with why or how or where, when. This is the posture of one who's growing and learning and being formed in the questions, being formed by the questions of life. To sit in the questions provides opportunity for all sorts of new insights. To love our questions is to recognize that the questions themselves, the uncertainty, that space of unknowing brings opportunities for growth and maturity and for deepening faith and a more profound experience of life itself. We see Nicodemus being offered this opportunity to learn and grow as he encounters Jesus in his questions. The question at the heart of our gospel passage today is, how can we believe something that doesn't make sense? When Nicodemus is then faced with the teaching of Jesus about being born from above, from above, by the way, is the Greek anothen, which can also be translated again. So we see both of those in various translations, born from above, born again. When Jesus speaks these words, Nicodemus asks the question that we all ask about things at one point or another, how can these things be? Jesus goes on to speak of earthly things and heavenly things drawing Nicodemus to expand his thinking from solely concrete physical realities, being born as a, a flesh and blood child, toward a reality of life infused with spirit who, like the wind, can't be seen or controlled, only experienced. And then Jesus speaks of believing, and in a way that connects that belief with eternal life. For God so loved the world. It's a beautiful beginning to a phrase. For God so loved the world. But you know, these words attributed to Jesus in John 3.16 
have been poured out into the world as thin soup and even as poison for a long time. Why do we do that? People have taught that you, you just have to believe a certain thing about Jesus to get your eternal life entry ticket. And people think that's all there is to Christianity. People have also taught that people of other faith traditions are condemned. That's especially easy to suggest if you go on and read chapter 3, verse 18. For a few minutes, I want to focus on the word believes because I think this is a word that becomes such an obstacle. In our rational, prescriptive way of thinking, to believe something has to do with words. It's a head trip. We struggle to think of believing as something other than just working down a checklist of statements, of to-dos, to-believes, thou shalts, thou shalt nots, and checking yes or no. But Jesus does not say, whoever believes in what will be said about me will have eternal life. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, in him, in me, <laughs> will have eternal life. Think it for a moment about the difference between believing a statement and believing in a person. What does it mean to say to another person, I believe in you? I see you, I trust you, I know you enough to believe that what you say has something in it, that who you are is trustworthy. This is about a relationship. The Greek word here translated believe is pistuo, a word that has several meanings, one of which is to think something is true, and all the other meanings are relational, having to do with trust and commitment. The invitation here is to trust in the person of Jesus who proves his trustworthiness throughout his whole life. The invitation is to trust that Jesus' words and actions contain truth in the largest sense. Theologian John Sabrino speaks of believing not in Jesus, but believing in God's goodness and love through Jesus. That is, Jesus and the way he lives everything and reveals God's goodness, mercy, and justice shows us that we can believe that God is alive, that God is at work in the world to save the world from ourselves, and that God is love. Words can't fully capture what it means to say, I believe in you. Every person, including the person of Jesus, is not completely definable or understandable, but always also an unfolding mystery. Anybody here been in a relationship? This invitation to believe in Jesus is an invitation into 
mystery into the questions because it's not all defined or understood. God loved the world so much that Jesus came to the world so that whoever trusts God in the way that Jesus reveals is possible will have eternal life so that whoever questions things without undue anxiety, encouraged by Jesus who lived everything, will have eternal life, that whoever is willing to entrust their heart in relationship as Jesus modeled will have eternal life, that whoever is able to hold on in the wilderness place, taking one step at a time because they trust that God will see them through, they will have eternal life, that whoever keeps trying to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly empowered by the love of God made known to us in Jesus, that they will have eternal life. These will step into a new life, a life held in the largest frame, the eternal frame, a life connected to God's life, which is eternal. Richard Rohr writes, scriptures do not offer rational certitude. They offer us something much better an entirely different way of knowing, an intimate relationship, a dark journey, a path where we must discover for ourselves that grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness are absolutely necessary for survival in an uncertain world. You only need enough clarity to know how to live without certitude. Yes, he says, we really are saved by faith. The invitation is to enter into relationship with Jesus and to take the risk of hope, the risk of love, the risk of that leap of faith that the God and the kingdom that Jesus speaks of and embodies is not only real but is our true home. And by the way, I know I, I talk about Jesus a lot. <laughs> I want to be clear. There are persons of other faith traditions and none who learn from Jesus in ways that deepens their spiritual practice, even as they don't confess the fullness of Christian spiritual tradition. They are blessed and learn from Jesus, even as we are blessed and learn from other faith traditions and spiritual traditions. There is no condemnation in God's love. There is invitation in Jesus' way. The invitation is to live the questions of our lives, to open to the Spirit who in ways unknown brings new life, new learning, new growth, and an experience of God that is transforming. And if, by the way, you struggle, as I know some of you do, with things that you hear, have heard, will read here today or ever, that's good. That's welcomed. It's okay. You're invited to simply sit with whatever that 
is to live that question with an open mind and heart. Our gospel shows that even when Nicodemus comes to Jesus with his questions, Jesus doesn't blow him off, discount him, or judge him. Jesus engages him. Jesus enters into relationship with him and speaks to him not of God's condemnation, but of God's love. And I do hope that we'll honor Nicodemus who came to Jesus asking the question we all ask, how can these things be? Evidently, Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus made a difference in his life. He continued living the questions. His journey with Jesus doesn't end on this night with those questions. More questions he lived into and through, open to spirits transforming power. And we know this because Nicodemus was there with Joseph of Arimathea at Jesus' burial, generously caring for the body of the crucified Jesus, the person through whom Nicodemus believed in a God who doesn't always make sense. Where will our questions, where will spirit lead us?